Hello, I'm Andrew Fuller. I'm a clinical psychologist and work with children, teenagers and their families, particularly in the areas of resilience, learning strengths and well-being. I'm also the chairperson of Generation Next. And in this series of podcasts, I'll be speaking with people who are experts in their area in terms of mental health and well-being. Thank you for joining us and thank you for being part of the Generation Next podcast group. Thank you. Today, we're very, very fortunate to really speak with Monique Broadbent, who is the coordinator of Standby, Brisbane Standby Support After Suicide. So we're going to be discussing some difficult topics, which of course involve suicide. So for anyone who is concerned about that, of course, uh, you may wish to not listen to this, and we understand that, of course, as well, but it's an important issue and we need to discuss it. And of course, if uh, I'll ask Monique to suggest at the end any follow-up that people may wish as uh, as we should as responsible people presenting this sort of information. So Monique, great to be with you and thank you for your work. Tell us just a little bit about how many young people are affected by the loss of somebody through suicide. It must be an enormous number. It, it can be quite staggering when people first find out the numbers that are impacted. And I mean, I guess it does depend on your definition of what being impacted means, because research tells us that at least one in two young Australians know someone who has died by suicide. So that's half of all children and young people are already directly impacted. But I think that number would be even higher if we were taking into account um, all the social media and interactions that happen online where people may not even know someone directly and yet still be hugely impacted if they, that person does die by suicide. I know that I personally worked with a young person who uh, had their favourite K-pop star die, so a, a Korean pop star died by suicide, and she identified so strongly with him that her grief experience ended up including her own suicidal thoughts and behaviours. And, I mean, the traditional approach for caregivers around this is to dismiss it as a teenage overreaction. However, any suicidal behaviour is, of course, serious, and research tells us that people bereaved by suicide are at 65% increased risk of being suicidal themselves. So not just teenagers and young people, but 65% of all, or 65% increased risk for all people who are bereaved by suicide. So we can find a middle ground between validating emotion, but also drawing a line in the sand for behavior that is harmful. We used to notice in the psychiatric crisis team that when the film MASH with its theme song Suicide is Painless was on, we'd see an increase in referral patterns. So clearly this is an issue that we need to be tentative about in terms of speaking publicly. Is it, I mean, that's the common fear, of course, that somehow we may unwittingly set this off in someone's mind. What are your thoughts? What, what's, what's the current understandings of that? Yeah, so it's an interesting proposition, the idea that people reaching out once there is a reference to suicide in media um, or publicly acknowledged. And there's kind of, there's two sides of looking at that. One is that, oh my goodness, did this provoke something in somebody that wasn't there? Has this caused someone to think about suicide? Versus is this actually people reaching out who may have already been in that space? So, I mean, after the death of Robin Williams a few years ago, I know that the helplines had an unprecedented increase 
in number of calls um, because it was widely talked about that it was a suicide. And I mean, again, the question comes back to, is it that there was an increase in suicidal thinking or behaviour or was there an increase in people feeling comfortable and reaching out? And I think it quite often depends on how we talk about it. All of the research tells us, tells us that suicide can be safely discussed with people of any age. However, some ways of talking about suicide can be unhelpful, like emphasising methods or glorifying the person who's taking their life. That can be unhelpful. But talking publicly about suicide in a safe way that emphasises uh, support pathways, emphasises the impact upon people who have been bereaved, they are safe ways of discussing suicide publicly or talking with young people about suicide. There's actually quite a few guidelines that are publicly available to people as well. Um, I'll, I'll be happy to provide the links to them so that people can, can research them themselves and look into it. Thank you. So generally, any recommendations though that sort of pop out for you? I guess most of all, um, focus upon uh, facts, so not too much speculation, um, but don't go into too much detail. Uh, people don't generally need to know how the person died by suicide or potentially where. Maybe more focus on the bereaved, the people who have been impacted and the impact that the loss has had on them rather than necessarily going into speculation around what may have caused someone to suicide, especially because we know that with Anyone who has died by suicide, there are so many contributing factors. There's never one cause of someone taking their life. And yet quite often within the media or publicly talking about suicide, it's, they try and distill it down to one key factor when we know that it is much more complicated than that. So how, how young is too young for young people to kind of know about this issue, do you think? It's scary. It's scary to think of a young person knowing about suicide. Um, you know, I've supported hundreds of families who have lost a loved one to suicide. And I think the most terrifying conversation for adults is often the one where they have to tell children what's happened. It's one of the worst conversations someone could, could have to have with their own child. And yet it can be incredibly empowering for the child or young person as it allows them to be an open part of the family or community's mourning processes. And while it's true that young people do have a limited understanding of death, let alone suicide, it's quite a complex idea for them to try and wrap their head around. And so it's tempting for people to decide not to tell a young child until they're older. However, it's okay for young people to not understand the entire complexity of something right away. Things will fall into place for them naturally as their brain develops. And experience and research tells us that not telling children and young people about a suicide can often create multiple complications. One I come across quite often is where a family or a caregiver tells me that the child doesn't know that the death was a suicide. So they're not aware, but they want the young person to have grief support, but they absolutely cannot be told. And then when I meet the young child, one of the first things they tell me once they're alone is that they know the death was a suicide. And so the family are actually on two completely different pages. The child's found out from other sources, whether they've overheard a conversation, something's been said at the funeral or, or afterwards, um, they've found out through documentation or being told by a third party. One young man that I supported had found out because he was teased at school by other kids about the fact that it was a suicide. 
But quite often that child then doesn't tell their caregivers or family that they know the actual cause of death because they've learned this is not something we're allowed to talk about. We have to hide things within this family. And so the family end up being completely unaware of each other's knowledge and, and where they're at. And I mean, the other challenges of not telling a young person openly from the beginning, it means that they quite often have to re-grieve once they do find out the truth. It can take them right back into that space where they were when they first found out that someone had died. Or the young person may not even realise what it is that they're not being told. They may be completely oblivious, but they'll pick up on the fact that there are secrets, pick up on the fact that there's information that they're not privy to. And that can obviously end up impacting upon the young person's headspace as well as their interactions within the family. So, yeah, absolutely true that a young person isn't necessarily going to understand the concept of suicide straight away. But, I mean, there's many concepts that children don't understand right away that still uh, they are, they're, open, they're, they're openly exposed to and they understand it more as they get older. Fascinating, Monique. I mean, Australia has a long history of families with stories about guys who had accidental uh, guns go off while they were hunting something or other. Tell us a little bit about what you regard to be as helpful or what the research tells us is helpful in terms of intervening in a suicide or, or after a suicide has occurred. So first and foremost, sit with where the young person is at. Um, we can't assume that someone's going to react a particular way because of their age or how their peers may be reacting. Got to be open to them having their own grieving styles separate and distinct from their family and peers. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about grief generally within Australia. You know, we're a, we're a country that traditionally tends to look at things as she'll be right and just get on with things. And so our ideas of what's normal within grief are quite often skewed away from what research tells us is normal within grief. And so sometimes even just having a bit of a discussion with whether it's a, a counsellor or a grief specialist or even just doing your own research into what does grief look like? What are different types of grief? How might young people experience grief to kind of inform yourself? Because quite often we work with families who are very worried about their young person or their children not grieving in a way that's healthy or, you know, the funeral is over. Why are they still upset about this? And we know within grief work, that's, that's perfectly normal. It's absolutely okay for someone to still be upset or for them to not have the attitude of we just need to get on with things. So sometimes just educating ourselves can be helpful in supporting young people, but also being open to the young person experiencing that grief in a way that's completely different to, to other people. It, it may not even be an emotional experience. It may be the cognitive impacts of their memory suddenly going um, absolutely haywire or maybe they're not engaging with school in the way they were previously. Practical mm -hmm. thing, it's being really focused on routines having to change. Uh, that can seem really strange to parents as to why is this kid focused on who's going to take them to school now when I told them, just told them that their dad has died. And yet it's really common for kids to get really hung up on minor details like that. Any real clangers, things that definitely we shouldn't be doing that are unhelpful with uh, young people after a suicide? I would probably say telling them how they should be grieving rather than listening and finding out how they are grieving. Um, that quite often just creates a bit more of a chasm than it does bring closeness. But even just, I mean people telling their kids what they should be doing and yet doing something different themselves. The number of times that we 
uh, have a young person brought into us as grief specialists and it's it's the young person who's the issue. It's There's nothing else in the family. No one else in the family needs to see a counsellor or needs to talk about what's happening for them. It's definitely only the young person who has the issue. And then the young person is really reluctant to engage. And surprise, surprise, it's because what behaviour is being role modelled to them. So within a family, quite often role modelling the behaviour that you want to see within young people, whether that's being open about emotion or whether that's seeking support or counselling yourself, advice on how to support young people and letting the young person know that that's what you're doing. Um, We're trying to not necessarily show how the young person should be acting, but instead role model healthy ways of processing emotion or processing grief. And some words of advice for schools or organisations after the loss of somebody. Do you have any specific process or procedures that you would recommend? Certainly, yeah. I mean, there I could get super specific here because there are postvention guidelines for schools and such. So if there's anyone within a school community who isn't aware of the, the Headspace Schools postvention guidelines, I'd, I'd strongly recommend they, they check them out. I'll share links with you around them. Um, but certainly, I mean, first and foremost, it depends entirely on what level of consent the school may have from the family that's been impacted in that if the family absolutely refuses for the suicide to be talked about as a suicide, then that may limit exactly what can be done by the uh, school, but still putting supports in place. I think quite often what we see is that the focus becomes entirely on students, which is understandable. Uh, Of course, uh, young people need support after a suicide, but that can sometimes mean that staff and the wider school community are forgotten. I mean, I look at how much principals and teachers are doing day to day, let alone after a suicide where they're grieving themselves, but they're also trying to support students, they're trying to support their peers, they're trying to support parents, the wider community. People are quite often absolutely panicking after a suicide and want really clear answers on what's going to be done and how is this going to be fixed. And if my child shows any sort of emotion, then there's something wrong with how the school is supporting them rather than viewing it as a natural process. And of course, this child may be emotional. Um, So, I mean, just the level of pressure that is on the school staff after a suicide means that we do need to be careful to not allow them to get lost in the mix after a suicide, make sure that there is support available for staff in addition to kids as well. And it's not always internal support that is going to be the answer for kids or for staff. Guidance officers are incredible and they do amazing jobs on very limited resources, but they are so busy day to day, let alone adding a a grieving school community into the mix. And so having the support from internal resources, but also external as well, and knowing where people can seek support if they don't want to be within the internal system um, is incredibly important. I think also just the practical effects parents will quite often have questions about well what are we doing now how do I support my child how am I meant to even talk to my kid about this and so just having resources available um, to parents uh, that the school that all of the school are aware of because it won't always be the principal and guidance officer who are asked those questions but all of the school being aware of of where support and resources can be found for for parents which also happy to include some resources we linked along with the podcast it sounds like there's almost a ripple effect from the people who know the person who's lost well 
uh, to broader friendships, to perhaps staff, parents, the community as a whole. Are there particular links that you would like to recommend to people who would like to delve into this difficult area, but further? Absolutely. And look, I mean, it does take a level of bravery for people to step into this. This is quite often, I mean, suicide prevention and intervention are scary enough in themselves for most people. Looking then at suicide postvention, so after the fact, is too terrifying for some people to even consider. And so I do commend anyone who is looking to, to, to educate themselves around it because we know that there are, you know, 50% of young people at least who have lost someone to suicide or know someone who's died through suicide. And so some of the helpful links would be, there's a great Australian website called Conversations Matter, and they have a really practical fact sheet on how to talk to young people about suicide, how to even tell a young person about a suicide. So if you've got a child and you're going, I don't even know where to begin here, um, they've got a really easy to understand practical guide. There's then of course the Headspace schools uh, that have their postvention plans and their staff support available. There's standby, um, standby.com.au has all sorts of resources about supporting young people after a suicide, including grief workbooks and activity books for kids and teens who have lost someone. Um, so there is, there is research out there. It's just you've got to be willing to look for it because it's not something that a, that a lot of us um, uh, come across generally. It's not something that a lot of people want to think about. If anyone's found this conversation difficult, uh, is there anywhere that you'd particularly recommend that they seek follow-up? Absolutely. I mean, of course, there's Lifeline, the crisis line available 24-7 on 13, 11, 14. But if it's suicide um, specifically uh, around bereavement that they'd like support for, there are also um, standby uh, support after suicide sites across the country. If they go onto the standbysupport.com.au website, they'll be able to find their local region and access support. That number is also 24-7. And then there's a suicide callback service too, which people can access, which is 24-7, support people who may be thinking about suicide, family and friends, or people bereaved by suicide. Monique, thank you. I know it's very hard work that you do, and it's very honourable work, and it makes a difference to many, many people. Um, so I want to honour what you do. I think it's incredibly important that we help young people to get out a sense of loss and a sense of their understanding around that we can be expressed cognitively behaviorally in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways as we know so basically helping people to process that means of course that they're much less likely to replicate that so thank you again beautiful thanks so much andrew really appreciate it thanks Monique. thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you would like to follow up in further detail Please listen in to some of the other podcasts that we have made, which are available through the Generation Next website. There are also a series of books uh, from Generation Next in terms of nurturing young minds, uh, covering a series of issues to do with young people, and also in my own book, Tricky Behaviours and Your Best Life at Any Age, which are both available either on Amazon or through Bad Apple Press. Thank you so much, and I uh, hope to connect with you again soon. Thank you. The Mental Health and Wellbeing of Young People seminar has gone digital. This is a resource for anyone who supports young people. The e-learning hub has all your favourite speakers from the Generation Next events and much more.
there are hours and hours of courses to choose from. We know life's busy, so we made sure you can pause the courses at any stage and continue where you left off the next time you log in. You can also automatically download your certificates of participation and record your notes and ideas with the documentation tool and editable course books. If you would like to try it out, head to generationnext.com.au and sign up yourself and your whole team for the next free course. And please, share the resource far and wide. Thank you for your support for Generation Next and all you do to support young people.